0: Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of August 20th, 2020, including Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War has finally been announced, Microsoft showed off their new UI that we can expect to see on the Xbox Series X, more information has been revealed regarding Halo Infinite's delay, and more. First of all, I just want to say this week, because we do have a couple of new people commenting and writing in, I just want to, you know, as I've said before, and just drive this point home because it's never really lost on me, because it's just crazy to me that anyone listens to this show, so just get the sappy shit out of the way real quick. I just want to say thank you to everyone who listens to this show, you know, as well as those of you who leave comments and help make this show really come to life by making it kind of a two-way discussion. It's really important to me that this show involves audience feedback, comments, whether we're goofing around, or asking serious questions, or kind of agreeing or disagreeing with certain points I've made on the show. I really, I don't know. I really appreciate your feedback and your and your uh, engagement. And it's still crazy to me to think that there are actually people on the other end of this uh, of the of this podcast actually listening to it every week. And I'm not just throwing this out into the ether. So I really do appreciate that. Um, in fact, sometimes I get so paranoid about it that I still, I still wonder, I'm like, uh, is this like my girlfriend and my mom just making a bunch of like spam accounts just to make me feel better about, about myself? Like all of you guys are just these really elaborately fleshed out characters that my girlfriend has, has made, you know, on these fake YouTube profiles so she can leave comments and make me feel like someone cares about my podcast. So I I really appreciate that. In fact. Just to put my paranoia to rest now that I bring it up, please feel free this week to leave comments with your social security numbers and and things like that so that I can know in fact that each and every one of you are real and I will be actually using your social security numbers and whatever kind of identification numbers you can provide me in the comments to uh, fact check and just make sure that you all are who you say you are. So actually now that's a requirement. Uh, So please go ahead this week and comment with very personal and private information information I just wanna make sure that everyone here is legit. I'm not gonna steal this information. I'm just, uh, just requiring that from now on, if you wanna comment on the show, you can leave something like a driver's license number, a credit card number, uh, social security, something of that nature. But I appreciate your cooperation through all that. Uh, and then as a secondary kind of little thing to throw out there, Flight Simulator is now out on PC, came out just the other day. Fortunately it won't be on Xbox for a while longer. We don't really have a specific date for it, but kind of crazy to see everyone going nuts for this game, or at least critically, it's, it's getting amazing reviews. It's crazy to see IGN gave a 10 out of 10 Masterpiece score to not only an Xbox game, which is just unheard of, but to... Uh, a Microsoft Flight Simulator of all things, which is really awesome. Congrats to the team at Asobo uh, Studios who put this game together. That's actually a developer I, I really love. I think they'd be a great fit in the Xbox ecosystem. I don't think we're going to see that happen, but that's one of those studios that's done amazing work as a support role studio, and 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 they've really been showing their stuff in recent years by kind of making their own original titles and really uh, proving their stuff as a as a notable head developer. And so, congrats to the team at Asobo. And to Microsoft and everyone on a successful launch, it seems like people are really into this game. And I'm actually really excited to play this game, not because I think I'm going to play it for hours and hours, but because the technology behind it is, I I think that's the thing that's so lost on people with this game or that isn't getting enough press is just, like, how incredible the technology behind this game is. Uh, The fact that it uses, like, Bing Maps and Azure Cloud technology to, like, just let you travel anywhere in the fucking world that you can think of is just beyond me. And the fact that it just renders that in real time, it makes it into a video game where you can explore, and it's just so fucking crazy. Um, also, shout out to Bing. This is, I believe, Bing's first time getting some real spotlight and representation in a video game, which is really important. So that's awesome as well. But yeah, so go ahead if you're on the PC and you can try out Flight Simulator. It's uh, on Game Pass, of course. And then for all of us console gamers like myself, we're going to have to wait a little while longer, but I assume I assume the wait won't be too long. They're probably going to try and push that out, especially by the time the Series X is out, because now that they don't have Halo, you know, it's not like Flight Simulator is a console seller by any stretch of the imagination, it's pretty... It's a pretty niche game, but just to have something that's first party, you know, on the console, it looks nice. So I assume they'll try to have that out in the coming months. With that said, let's get into our comments, shoutouts, and everything, which are posted via YouTube. You guys leave those in the comments every week. It looks like we had a bit of a chatty week on this past episode, which I'm a fan of, so I appreciate everyone who wrote in. So, yeah, we got some first-time commenters, some not-so-common commenters And uh, I'm happy to see all of you, so let's just jump right into those. Our first one is from Viking of the North, who says, Love your channel, bro. Listen every week. Thank you so much, Viking of the North, and and welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Just in case you're new to all this, for future reference, we like to mostly comment on bullshit, so feel free to ask me questions. uh, Food-related, most importantly. You can bring up Xbox. It's not mandatory, but we do like to talk particularly about food or insulting one another, so... Um, if you have any good insults to throw at Lethal Migraine, he seems to be a popular target. Next up we got Andy Crawley who says, I like your sarcasm. Keep it up the great work. Literally no idea what you're fucking talking about. I've I've been dead serious since day one of the show, so that's a weird comment, but I appreciate you, you writing in nonetheless. And then our next our next comment here is from Tongue Blood who says, Great show, man. Your response about ripping off your shirt and having a tattoo was hilariously inspiring. It was food for my Xbox soul. I might be contemplating getting a tattoo now. Tongue blood, I highly recommend more than anything you don't think about this and you just go and do it. I don't care how much it costs. I don't care if now is a good time to be getting a tattoo or not because of COVID and whatnot. Just fucking get this tattoo. Don't think about it. You'll thank me later. So you're welcome for that idea. And then our next comment here is from Lethal Migraine, resident commenter, uh, fan favorite, Lethal Migraine, who says, I use Bing, those Microsoft points. I have enough points to get at least $250 off of an Xbox Series X. This is why you use Bing. Not only is it a vastly superior search engine to Google, but you also get free shit for using it. Microsoft tries to, for all of you who don't know, Microsoft tries to incentivize you to use Bing by giving you like, you get like points every time you search, and you can see it. When you're signed in, when you use Bing, you see it at the top right of the, of the screen, it shows like you're getting points for every search, like 10, 20 points, and every day they'll have different objectives, like do this kind of search or use this kind of device to search, and and you get different like amounts of points, and they add up, and you can donate them, or you can enter in sweet stakes to win like like Xbox stuff or surface stuff. And you can redeem gift cards and things like that. I know I've, I've redeemed multiple, like I always just save up enough Bing points until I get like a $25 Microsoft card. I'm like, cool. Next time I buy a game, I get 25 bucks off of it. And I do that all the time. Every couple of months, I'm like, Oh, I've already accumulated enough points for another Xbox or Microsoft store gift card. It's awesome. It's fucking awesome. So you could be using Google and, and just getting bombarded by ads and being tracked and having your data sold to those shady Chinese that we have to fear now, or you could just use Bing and, and get paid for using it and uh, be given the most concise and accurate search results for literally anything you could possibly uh, wonder, and uh, that's uh, that's the beauty of using Bing. So if you use Bing, you are a true hero, and if you don't use – if you're on the fence – uh, and you don't start using Bing in the very near future, I will find you because you're giving me your social security number, and I will track you down. And I'm not gonna say what I'll do, but let's just say it won't be pretty. So just use Bing. Next, my brother comments in, and says, "I choose to play Gears Five on PC instead of my Xbox One X. My dreams are pretty weak, not gonna lie. That's uh, that's because Xbox says to power your dreams, and I told you guys, if you're not planning on buying a Series X, you're dreaming, you're dreaming pretty weak. So." I don't know why I even read that one. Next one is from Jay, first-time commenter, who says, Hey, Jesse, I recently spent some time hunting around for a solid Xbox podcast to listen to. And then you say, after listening to a number of various other Xbox-related podcasts, I came across yours. And thank goodness for that, as I was about to give up on finding a well-balanced, informative, fun, and interesting one. It's a great show, especially considering it's only one guy doing it. And you said to keep your questions uh, concise, so here's mine have you ever eaten any Australian food? Keep up the fantastic work and know that you've got some fans down here in Australia as well. Thank you so much for commenting, Jay. I really appreciate that. I mostly read your comment because it just gave me a a big boner listening to you pat me on the back and talk me up like that, so I appreciate that. And as for your very important question here, you say, have you ever eaten any Australian food? This is a great question because, you know, I feel like When people say, like, American food, they just mean generic shit comes in their head like Papa John's Pizza or a cheeseburger McDonald's, whatever the fuck, you know? And people are like, oh, Chinese food. They just think about, like, I don't know, at least here we think about, like, Chinese takeout. You think about, like, lo main and fried rice or kung pao chicken or general sos or something like that and someone says italian food and you think about uh, fucking risotto and, uh, and a, i don't know fettuccine or some crap like that and then someone says uh, japanese food and you think sushi you know there's those there's those like super generic default ideas pictures people have when you say insert country and then culinary you know but with australia and this is coming from the perspective of you know someone who's never been outside the united states I don't nothing in particular comes to mind. I don't I don't know, like when I think of when I I think of Australian food. So I had to ask myself, like, I don't know. Have I had Australian food before? I've never been to an Australian restaurant. I've never been to Australia. I've never uh, known an Australian person in the flesh or I mean, not extensively. So I don't I don't know. I don't know if I've had Australian food. So with that said, and to tie it into. Uh, our previous our previous comment regarding Bing, I thought I would just search up on, on on Bing. What are some common some common Australian dishes? So let's see what we get here. There's, I'm doing this in real time. I'm here on Bing. The first result was CNN, um, but it's, it's a very long 40, 40 dishes. I don't think we're going to go through that. That seems a little extensive. Uh, let's see. Here, For, here we go. Skyscanner. I've never heard of this website, which means it's probably pretty reputable. It says... Australia's top 10 most popular traditional foods, whatever the fuck traditional means. So it says the first one is chicken parmigiana, chicken parmesan. It's just, I don't get it. This is literally just chicken parm. That's okay. Next one says barbecue, barbecued snags, which are sausages. I don't know if these are, I'm sure these are like a special type of sausage, but I've, I've had barbecued sausages. Lamingtons. These look like, what is this? Like Turkish delight or something? The national cake of Australia. After National Trust of Queensland voted the sweet treat, an Australian icon named after Lord Lamington, a former governor of Queensland. This just sounds made up. All right. We got a we got a burger with the lot, which I assume is like a a, a tricked out burger full of toppings. Let's see. That's yeah. It basically sounds like stuffed with barbecued meat, salad, sauce for the Australian twist, a slice of pineapple, some uh, some pickled beetroot. And a fried egg. I'm more than, I don't know how I, I okay, I'm okay with a, a slice of barbecued pineapple on a burger, and I'm okay with a fried egg on a burger, but I don't know about those two things together. That that sounds a little psychotic, so I, I might, I don't know, I, I might call the police on someone who puts both of those things on the same burger, but hey, I'm okay with a fried egg on a burger. I think that's a, an amazing thing to do. Um, let's see, we got Pavlova, which is, we actually talked about this recently, about the Epcot thing. They were serving this, so I'm familiar with that, but I've never had it. Uh, meat pies—I always associated this as like a, as like kind of a, a, an English thing. But Aussie meat pie is okay. So you, you got hand-sized meat pies, minced and with gravy, topped with tomato sauce. Uh, number seven, we've got baramundi. i don't fucking know what that is—and then we got Vegemite on toast. So I've actually heard of Vegemite before. This is, this is, this isn't a new thing to me. I've, I've, I've been versed on Vegemite before. I don't know what it is. I know it comes in like a, like a jam jar. I've never had it. But I I know I know of it. I don't remember where or how. Let's see. It says it says uh, it's a vegetarian alternative. Made, wait, no. You put on toast, lunch, snack. What is it? What's in it? Jammed full of vitamin B with loads of health benefits. No one knows what it is, so I, I assume it's made from lead and plastics. And then we got pumpkin soup. I've had I've had like Japanese pumpkin soup, which is really good. I don't I don't know. Pumpkin soup sounds good. And then grilled kangaroo. I don't I don't think that's real. You guys don't eat kangaroo for real, do you? That would be like us eating Bald eagle. I don't fucking think we do that.'m I'm, I'm gonna choose to believe grilled kangaroo is not really a, an actual dish. So I don't know. It sounds like Australian food's like American food. It's just like a, an amalgamation of everyone else's food. So yeah, you got you got some burgers, you got some Italian, you got some some sausage wiener things. I, I'll say that's German just for the sake of diversity. And then you've got this Pavlovian cake thing. Meat pies, you're just you're hitting you're hitting everything, I guess. Uh, pumpkin pumpkin soup. I guess I've never had overtly Australian food. I've never been to an Australian restaurant or been to an Australian person's home when they're cooking Australian food. But I've had uh, what seems to be some form or fashion Australian food, at least in, in the American version. Does McDonald's count? You guys have McDonald's in Australia. I guess, I, I guess that counts. This is This is going on way too long. I appreciate the question, Jay. But I guess to answer your question, yes and no. I've had Australian food but i don't i guess i haven't i don't know what it is but i appreciate your comment nonetheless if you guys have any have any recommendations for something that's like just so egregiously australian so distinctively australian that it can't be mistaken for anything else leave it in the comments i'll uh, i'll try to make it at home or i'll try to door dash it i don't know if maybe fucking i don't know if maybe taco bell has something australian on the menu i don't know we'll figure it out and i'll try it i'm always open minded i used to work in a japanese restaurant where we had a lot of weird shit on the menu, and weird as in like I've eaten like cod sperm and, and and fish eyeballs and things like that before, so I'm not I'm not opposed to trying new and weird things. But Australians, it just seems like. They're doing the American thing. They're taking everyone else's food and calling it their own. So I guess you guys don't really have a colon, a cuisine. EA's King 117 comes, comes in with our next comment. New commenter. He says, okay, do you like ramen? If so, what's your favorite flavor? Mine is miso. EA's King 117. I don't know how to feel about that name because it seems like a combination of EA games and, and, and Halo, which is like one thing I love and one thing I don't care about. But I love this question because you bring up ramen, and man, do I fucking love ramen. First of all, I don't know who doesn't love ramen. There's only two types of people. There are people who love ramen, and there are people who don't know they love ramen because they've never really had ramen. And and I know I don't know how it works in the rest of the world. I mean, I know, like, the prepackaged ramen is pretty popular globally. You can get that anywhere. But, but like, here in America, it seems like most people don't have a real concept of, like, legit ramen. Most people are like, oh, yeah, I've had ramen because they've had, like, the maruchan, like, chicken flavor, like, pre-packaged ramen, and that's fine, there's a place for that, don't get me wrong, I love that shit, you throw, you throw some extra seasoning in there, you throw some some chicken, some broccoli, some f- eggs in there, and just kind of spice it up, it's a great meal, but that's not real ramen, I, I, so I appreciate this comment, because I think there isn't, I don't know, ra- ramen's kind of become a pretty trendy thing in western culture in recent years, but I still feel like not enough people have really had a good legitimate ramen. So do I like ramen? Yes. I fucking love it. Ramen is, ramen's like top five greatest foods of all time. First of all, like a good ramen. Oh my God. I like, I would take a good ramen, an excellent bowl of ramen over the best pizza or the best Italian meal you can throw at me. Like, nine times out of 10 ramen is just it's probably like the best just like shit food or just kind of you know like kind of uh indulgent food that i can think of it's just it's one of those things it's so hard to make a good ramen broth that's like i've never really attempted to do it myself so i'm kind of limited to like good restaurants so when i lived back in atlanta we had I had a lot more access to good ramen. Like I said, I, I worked in a Japanese restaurant and we had a couple of different ramens. So we had and we got a little liberal with kind of like the types of the styles of broth. We had one that we called a dual broth ramen, but it was actually three types of broth. It was like chicken, it was fish, and it was it was chicken fish in, in pork broth. And it was just like so goddamn rich and fatty and delicious and they put like lotus root chips and green onions and fucking the uh, oh the, the what's it called the type of egg you put in in ramen, that creamy egg, it's so fucking good. Um, but yeah, that was that ramen was amazing. We had a clam, like a seafood clam based ramen that was so good. Um, but my favorite restaurant to go and eat ramen is called Jinya, J-I-N-Y-A. So they're, they're a chain of ramen bars from Japan. They've been in the U.S. for a pretty decent amount of time but by way of California, and only in, like, like the past five years or so have they started expanding outside of California. So, like, in the in the past five, maybe seven years, they have they went over to, like, New York and, you know, other big cities, but then they came to Atlanta, and when they came to Atlanta, my whole fucking world changed because I would eat there, like, once a month minimum, and I would drive, like, 35, 40 minutes out of my way to go and get this fucking ramen. It was so good. And they had this one called the Cha-Cha Garlic Ramen. So... Uh, I don't I don't know if it's a miso base or what. It's kind of another one of those things where they really f- kind of fuck with it and just and go all out with the broth, but it's just so fatty and, and and just delicious and garlicky and full and it's just full of garlic and all this shit. I just love a good ramen that's just like super oniony and fatty and delicious and it oh my god, it was it's it was just the best Ramen I've ever had, and you get it, and you get the extra side of noodles so that you can you can slurp everything up, and then have the extra noodles, and then and go in for basically a round two, and then it's just I don't know, ramen is just the absolute best, and I'm doing a disservice right now. I'm doing it a disservice by not really better explaining, but yeah, I I, I like a miso ramen. I think I would go you know nine times out of ten for like a classic like tonkatsu miso ramen, like a like a pork ramen, you know, something like that. But I also really Really enjoy a good shoyu ramen, which is like the soy sauce based ramen. Those are really, really good. So uh, there's a time and place for every type of ramen. I don't. I've never had a bad. Oh, I'll scratch it. I've only ever had bad ramen once in my life. I went to like this Korean place that had ramen, and I ordered it there, and it was pretty mediocre. But other than that, like every restaurant I've ever been to, like there's varying ramen's borderline like pizza, where it's like there's only like there's good ramen, and then there's great ramen. There's no bad ramen really. So I'm I'm into really just anything. Uh, shoyu would be. My number two, but yeah, I guess a miso-based broth is 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 the way to go. You know, like a, a pork miso-based um, broth for sure. Um, but I really appreciate your question just because I, I love ramen so much and I greatly miss it here in um, here living in Florida in Central Florida. We don't have as much great access to, to 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 yummy ramen. You know, Disney's got a couple of restaurants that serve ramen, but none of it's like super legit. A lot of it's like that it's, it's, it's the same problem you have with all Asian cuisine, which is where like the whitewash or like the Americanized version of Asian food is always significantly worse than the legit thing. You know, like the one exception being Chinese takeout, like Chinese takeout is great. It's not real Chinese food, but Chinese takeout is its own thing. That's beautiful. Like just how like Taco Bell isn't Mexican food, but it's beautiful in its own right. You know, that's how Chinese takeout is. And that's the one exception. Everything else, like is shit like there's no such thing as like americanized japanese or americanized korean or americanized vietnamese food all of that stuff is ass if you ever like go to public's and buy like their brand of soy sauce or you go to like fucking kroger or ralph's or wherever you do your shopping and you buy like their version of like some asian dish or their version of some asian uh ingredient to make asian food at home it always tastes like ass so like it's it's really difficult here in, in Orlando and in central Florida to get good Japanese ramen because there aren't a lot of good spots to get it, but we do have a Jinnia location. I just haven't been to it in the whole year that I've lived here because it's super far away. It's downtown. The parking's a fucking nightmare and I'm terrified of trying to deal with it. So I just haven't even bothered. Um, but I've, I've been meaning to, to suck it up and go there one day. And now is obviously not a good time because the world is crumbling. Um, but there is a different ramen bar not too far from home here uh, that I I've, I've tried and it was it was solid it was okay. It wasn't as good as my favorite ramen spots back home but it was uh, it was serviceable. And uh, I don't know, I really want a goddamn bowl of ramen right now. I haven't I haven't eaten yet today so I really wish I I hadn't brought that up, because now I would kill for some ramen. Our next comment here comes from Geezy Geezy. I don't know why I just can't decide how I'm going to pronounce that, Uh, and you haven't corrected me, so we'll just keep calling it whatever the fuck we want. You say, hey, I have another food question. I have another food answer for you. As I know, food is something that is close to your heart. It's very close to my heart. It's uh, it's, it's why my cholesterol is so high. Uh, You say, what is your favorite flavor of cheesecake? What is your flavor of cheesecake? Okay, so, hmm. You say back, okay, and then you get into Halo stuff. We'll, we'll talk about Halo later. That, that can wait. My favorite flavor of cheesecake. You see, I was a I was a big cheesecake guy in my younger years. I'd say in high school and before. I was a I was very big into the cheesecake. I was one of those like, let's go to Cheesecake Factory just for the cheesecake because I know their food is like mediocre at best. And I, I I would cheesecake is one of those things where it's like if it's on a dessert menu, which it usually is, because it's a pretty common cheese uh, dessert in a lot of restaurants. I'm I'm gonna get a cheesecake. I'm gonna try it. And uh you know there, there's um I don't know cheesecakes one of those things where it's like the classic New York cheesecake, you know it's it's it where you can't go wrong with that. But I'm a I don't know I'm a really big proponent of like I think cheesecakes one of those desserts where you just like regular cake where like you have every right to go nuts with it and to try and like really fuck with it. If I can if I can do a cheat answer on this, I'll say this. Over here cuz I, I got to bring Disney into it. At Disney's Animal Kingdom theme park, there is a, a avatar based off James Cameron's avatar. There's a land dedicated to James Cameron's avatar. And at the restaurant in that land, there is a dessert that's like a... It's more of like a moose thing, but it's like a cheesecake moose hybrid thing. And it's like this blueberry cake, cheesecake, passion fruit, custardy combination thing. And it's like, honest to God, like top three desserts of all time. It's so... Fucking good. I've probably had it a hundred times in my life. It's so goddamn good. I'm sure like a decent seven percent of my total like life's income has gone to purchasing this dessert. I've had it so many times, and it is equally as incredible every time I have it. I think they just call it like blueberry moose dome or something like that. It's a very beautiful presentation. It's like this circular dome shape it's like this gelatinous cheesecake that's like blueberry based and then on the bottom it has a very very thin layer of like just a yellow cake just to give it an airy texture and then it has like this uh little tinier dome of like passion fruit like cheesecake custardy thing on top of it and then it has you know some uh, raspberry sauce that goes around it for dipping and it's just the best dessert ever i'm going to qualify it as a cheesecake and say that is the best cheesecake but you you let me know what your favorite cheesecake is i think all flavors of cheesecake deserve a place in this conversation as it is a phenomenal dessert i'm not as much into it these days as i used to be i usually try to get less like make you fucking hate yourself desserts when i go to restaurants now i'd i try to get of my comfort zone try something a little lighter something a little less sugary and, and heavy and dense but Cheesecake is a weakness of mine, and I will I will have it if you order it. So, yes, cheesecake. And then you, you, you throw in here, I guess, if we must talk about Xbox, you say, back to your comment on the Halo delay, I fully agree they need to release the most polished version of the game. They got so much unnecessary grief after the gameplay, so hopefully they can create something that will make the haters mad. So to that point, Dead Captain James also writes in about the delay and says, I'm so happy they delayed Halo to be honest. You only have one chance to release Halo Infinite and launching it half-baked would do tons of damage to the brand, amen. As of right now, it's the laughing stock of the gaming world. I hope they take their time and make this Halo the best it's ever been. And then my brother also comments in and says, from an optics standpoint, the Halo delay hurts the Series X really badly. The current narrative is that the Xbox already doesn't have any launch titles. I know there's some smaller ones and some games getting upgrades and all that, but from a purely marketing standpoint, this is going to hurt. That being said, I just want my upgraded version of Gears and I'll be happy. So. These are some interesting points, so with all of you, I agree. I think all three of these points are pretty well taken. Not that there's anything like super hot, not some serious hot take being being made here, but all you guys say something a little different. It seems GZ really optimistic about the delay. Dead Captain James is really opti- optimistic about it and, and mentions how this is integral to uh, protecting the brand, especially since it's already, you know, the brand already has some damage done to it and it can't afford more because both Xbox and Halo really need this this brand to succeed. And then my brother mentions how this is going to hurt the marketing and the release of the console itself. And I think all of these are really relevant points to this very difficult conversation because, or d- difficult situation rather, because I think honestly the very best thing they could do if they could do it would just to be delay the Xbox Series X. But the only way you could delay the Xbox Series X and for it to be a beneficial move would be if the PlayStation 5 got delayed because you can't have that thing where one person has their box on the market before the other for too long you know there can't be more than a few days on the market between the ps5 and the xbox series x because if you if you let one launch before the other you have an xbox 360 situation where like sorry this one was just available first so more people jumped on it so you cannot have that happen especially if you're xbox and you're trying to make up you know some lost ground here with the with the consumer market but at the same time, it's like, yeah, this is this console is going to going to launch into a market where everyone's poor and everyone's fucked over because of COVID and our inept government, and there's no Halo or big, you know, killer app to sell the box, and it's just like, here's our $600 Xbox Series X, it's the most powerful console ever made, it doesn't have a special game to sell it, but here it is, and you're all poor, and you're all about to lose your homes, and fuck you, and it's just like, oh, okay, okay. It's just it's that's it's a really challenging sell in November to just to to have that conversation. And that's what Microsoft is full steam ahead headed into, you know, but if my if sony is going to release this holiday season with the ps5 then they have really no choice but to do it so the marketing is going to have to get smart it's going to have to be all about game pass game pass game pass your games look better your games run better we have new games some are third party some are smaller first party things that are have recently been released leading up to the series x but you know you can kind of call it a launch title whatever and you can get creative with it but yeah at the end of the day they're not going to have a halo they're not going to have a gears of War. they're not going to have a fable they're not going to have anything they're not even going to have a forza you know, and I, until that July event, I was 100% convinced they were at least going to have a Forza. You would at least be able to buy the prettiest, most amazing-looking technical marvel of a Forza game to go alongside your Series X. But we're not even getting that. In fact, we don't even know when we're getting Forza. So this is a really shitty and rough spot for Xbox. And I'm really surprised that they didn't have more ready to go by now. I I know, you know, I've been saying for years, especially since the big acquisition of all these studios, that you got to understand it takes time to get these studios prepped and these games prepped. And it's going to take a lo- a handful of years for Xbox to be in a position where it's like now all those game developer acquisitions can pay off because now we see the games coming. I thought we would be a little close. I didn't think we'd be like everyone's launching a game by now, but I thought we'd be closer to that by this point than we are. So the fact that we're still a ways out from really getting to like a nice cadence of releases where it's like, yeah, they have all these studios in any given year, you know, a handful of them are putting out some new big games for the console, but we're not even there yet. And Halo's the big thing, and that's not even ready yet. And uh, I think what we're, we're going to learn in the news is that um, you know there's a there's a lot of factors playing into that. So we'll get into that more in a bit. But I uh, I feel the Halo concern and also the at the same time the relief because I, I agree the game did look like it needed a little more love. I love that they were willing to make the tough decision to give it more time because I would much rather wait and be disappointed up front and just have to be patient for this game and have it be done right. Than for them to rush out the door and give me an experience that's going to leave a bad taste in my mouth, and less so for me because I'm so easy to please with Halo, more so for the mass audiences who are just waiting They're constantly just like, like fucking lines, like in, in a stance ready to pounce on Halo waiting for an opportunity to hate this franchise and hate 343 and hate everything and be the worst. So we we got to get this right. We got to give the audiences as the audience as little reason as possible to bitch about this game. Although they will find they will find a reason. So don't don't you dare forget about that. Chunky Brother, we haven't heard from you in a while, says it's amazing how xCloud won't be coming to iOS, yet they allow Steam Link and, and Rainway services, to name a few, uh, to stream your Steam library to your iOS device to play your games remotely. I smell bullshit with App- with Apple's excuse. These services can access every other application on my PC without much effort at all. Even though I have, have just made the jump to PC and am a li- lifelong Apple user, I'm looking to make the jump to Android due to this crap. So this is a good point I didn't even really consider, which is that, yeah, you have been able to basically do this Steam Link stuff. Now, I understand this is this is different because I guess it's technically different if you want to make an excuse, because if I'm not mistaken, isn't Steam Link? Basically, you're streaming the game from your local PC to your iOS device rather than, you know, xCloud, which is you're streaming the game from a cloud server, whoever, like wherever the hell that may be um, to your iOS device. So it is a different situation of like where the content's coming from. But then, then again, I guess it doesn't really hold water or really justify or change anything because then all that's saying is that Apple is saying, well, we approve of in, 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 and verify games that are being remotely streamed from local PCs from Steam's library, but not from Xbox's library from more remote servers. So I guess that that point doesn't really mean anything at all. It it is bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. And I think it's because they don't see something as Steam Link to be as like a real threat to whatever it is they're working on. I think they see Steam Link as like a really niche thing for for you know steam users if they ever want to do that on their iphone or whatever i don't i don't think that's a big threat to them i think xcloud is the most legitimate streaming service for video games we've ever seen and that's not coming from the point of like an xbox fanboy i think that's just legitimately what this is like compared to playstation now compared to stadia or steam link or any of these other kinds of services that even remotely have anything to do with streaming your games from one thing to a mobile device I think there's never been anything like xCloud that has the potential and the marketing push behind it and the intent to really become a mainstream feature and service. So this is the this is the one you have to watch out for. The, you know, Stadia was dead on arrival and never stood a chance. And I think that's pretty evident now that we're about almost a year away from its launch. But I think everything about Project xCloud has always been enticing. And if there's anything the past year of that beta has, has taught me from using it extensively is that it's a really legitimate service that's really worth your time and investment. If you are a gamer, if you like the idea of taking your Xbox games with you on the go, xCloud's a really, really awesome feature. I love being able to just lay in my bed and like clip on a controller and play Xbox on my phone. It's It's been really awesome and I'm excited for it to be in the hands of everyone and be out officially and be better and have more games and all these things. And so Apple sees this as a legitimate threat and knowing Apple historically, the reason why they would fight this and try to keep it off their store is because they're trying to compete with it. That's always what Apple does historically. So this means either Apple Arcade is going to evolve into something else, or they have a new service that's similar to this, similar to like a Stadia or an xCloud that they're planning on launching. And they don't want to have the competitor on their ecosystem because I mean, this is why Apple has been, you know, on Capitol Hill lately, you know, fucking fighting fighting this stuff is because they are they want to monopolize their service and i understand the app stores it's their platform they created it whatever they can regulate it how they see fit but it's not a friendly place for competition it's not a friendly place for outsiders because apple wants to entirely control the ecosystem and that's that's apple's mo for better or for worse sometimes it really works you know there's a reason why apple airpods works so goddamn well with an iPhone and why Apple Watch works so well with an iPhone and why iPhone works so well with a MacBook. And it's because it's such a closed ecosystem. All the hardware and the software is made very specifically for a small number of devices from one particular manufacturer and carrier. And they're all meant to work in tandem with one another. And they can all have special hardware and software features to make all of that just so. It's not like PC, you know, it's not like Microsoft Windows where it's like, yeah, uh, we make this software and OEMs can make whatever the fuck they want with it. They can flash it onto any set of hardware that will run it, and they can make whatever the fuck they want. And some phones have features with it, and every computer manufacturer can make whatever you know whatever it is they're thinking and sell it as a computer and put Windows on it. It's not like that. So there's less, there are fewer variables, and Apple is able to use that to their advantage and make a really closed ecosystem that's really premium and really sturdy and really well put together and everything as they say it just works and that's really that's really the the biggest plus and minus of apple it's if you love everything apple and you have no desire to ever venture outside of apple's very specific ecosystem then everything apple is a really great option for you as a consumer if you have any interest in anything tech related that isn't made by apple fuck you, Apple hates you, and they want to make sure that you have an awful, awful time enjoying anything else. It's it's absolutely mind-blowing. But yeah, I mean, I, to be fair, like I actually like Apple. I still think Apple makes pretty cool stuff. I think they haven't been as interesting as they used to be for like seven years plus now. They've been pretty stagnant and boring for a long time. That's why I stopped using iPhone. That's why I have an Android now. That's why I sold my Mac years ago. This is why I don't use any of this stuff because I think Apple just stopped being fun. And this is like... To me, this is like, if there was ever any remorse or kind of regret for like leaving the Apple ecosystem behind, this is like all the affirmation I need that like I made the right choice, and I don't I don't miss it at all. I I really don't. And this this kind of thing makes me so happy because I I only bring all this up to say you know the other day I was thinking about like X Cloud and how easy it is to play, it, and I thought about it for a second I was gonna recommend it to one of my coworkers because he was talking about. He was talking about playing Xbox, and he's always whatever, and I was I was going to bring up to him, and I was like, oh, you know, you can play Xbox games on your phone now, but he has an iPhone, and I was going to say, I, I I I caught myself, I was like, holy shit, I, I just realized, like, I haven't even thought about how I've just had access to Xbox on my Android phone for almost a year now, and most people, you know, at least here where I live in the States, most people have iPhone, and or it seems like everyone has iPhone, at least, everyone I run into. Uh, I'm like that means most people don't have access to this incredible service, and I, I'm here just thinking it's such a standard thing now on on mobile devices. But so much of the of the world is going to be shut out from this, and that fucking sucks. That really really sucks. I don't know, guys. I guess this uh, this means you should jump over to Android, buy a Microsoft Surface Duo, and uh, yeah, then you'll be saved. And when the rapture happens, you will be you will be saved. Anyway, well, let's wrap it up with our comments. Uh, we've got we've got one from we've got one from OG Man Man and then and then a final one from Tanali Maya our favorite uh, lengthy commenter. OG Man Man says, Hey Jesse, been uh, been a few weeks since I commented last, but rest assured, I've still been listening every week uh, to your new episodes. Just wanted to hear your thoughts on another Halo topic, and that's Halo Reach. I just finished my first ever playthrough of the campaign recently, and it was the only Halo I had never played before. I recently read the Fall of Reach book and then dove right into Reach, and holy fuck, man, it's my favorite campaign in the series. I know it's no Master Chief, but shit, that was a story. I loved every second of it. Going online, though, I found a lot of people don't like Reach, and to be honest, I don't know why. I'd just like to hear from a Halo fanboy like yourself. What's the thoughts on Reach? I've heard you talk about 4 and 5, but I haven't heard your thoughts on the prequels, I guess, to the series. Anyways, keep up the good work, man. Enjoy listening. Thank you so much for commenting, OG. I love uh, I love this question. First of all, if I haven't brought up Halo Reach enough on this podcast, that is my failure as a podcaster, and I take full responsibility for that. But we can rectify that beginning today because Halo Reach is a phenomenal game, and I know what you're talking about. People do like to shit on this game. So Halo is a series in general. If for those who are uninitiated, Halo is one of those series in general where it's always about the revisionist history. When Halo 2, you know, to this day, Halo 2 is largely considered the best Halo, which is funny because even though I love every Halo, I think every Halo is a good Halo. Um, Halo 2 is actually my least favorite in the series by like a long shot, but it's still a great game. Um, But when Halo 2 first came out in 2004, there were a lot of Xbox fans that were like, What the fuck is this? This isn't Halo. You know, I mean, the mass majority, keep in mind, the mass majority always enjoys this shit. It's just the loud minority that wants to ruin the fun for everyone. So it, it's the Star Wars effect. So, you know, Halo 2 had that problem. And then as the game got older, a lot of people looked back on it and were like, Oh, Halo 2 is the best Halo. And then Halo 3 had a similar thing when it came out. I feel like, you know, in my little bubble, Halo 3, came out in the perfect time for me when, you know, all my friends were so into it and and we were just, like, having sleepovers and playing local multiplayer all the time. So Halo 3 is always the most special Halo to me, but I remember there were people who were not crazy about Halo 3, and you know, with time, everyone's like, oh, Halo 3 is just the best. And then ODST, I think, got a lot of slack because it was so much supposed to be a spin off. But yeah, I'm sure there's people who don't care as much for Halo ODST. I think ODST gets kind of pushed in the corner and neglected the most, which is weird because it's actually such an incredible game. Uh, it's such a beautiful game. It has such a departure for this, from the series norm with its kind of focus on exploration and its kind of somber tone. It's just such a honestly beautiful artistic game. But Halo Reach... Is I think the first example of a Halo game where it seemed like the audience was like on a large scale kind of divided on it, and and this was and the only reason I bring up all the other stuff is because Halo Reach has had the Halo effect where in recent years people have looked back on it more fondly. I actually think bringing Halo Reach to the Master Chief Collection. Uh, brought out a lot of positive, a lot more positivity towards that game than existed before. Cause I, I remember in September of 2010 when Halo Reach came out, I remember going to GameStop to buy day one, shitting my pants, excited to play it for the first time. And everyone just, um, Everyone just being like, "Wow, this game's kind of disappointing." Like, "Oh, it's fine. The campaign's fine, but it doesn't really feel like Halo." I remember a lot of that. People really took umbrage with the multiplayer. Uh, a big criticism of the multiplayer was that you know so many of the maps were based on Forge World, so they kind of felt lazy and uninspired. They didn't have as many like uh, classic, instant classic Halo maps, which I guess is a fair criticism. But some of some of the maps on Halo Reach, I'd argue, are pretty damn iconic or at least to me they are. People were also really divided on the Spartan abilities, like the run, the shield, and all that. I don't know, like, I I like those abilities in the context of Halo Reach and Halo Reach alone. I think they're fine for that game. I think it feels really awkward in Halo 4 when you see those abilities carry over, because it seemed like 343 was kind of having a problem where they're like, do we make run a permanent feature? Do we make, you know, do we make Jetpack a permanent feature? Or do we do make these abilities like they were in Halo Reach? So it's kind of awkward in Halo 4, but I think for Halo Reach it was fine, um, I don't think it was like the best choice they ever made or, or the worst choice. I think it's just obviously a very experimental choice that Bungie made when they were working on Reach. And I think a, a thing you have to really keep in, in consideration when you play Halo Reach is that Bungie had really one foot out the door when they made that game. And I don't mean that they they it was a half-ass effort. I think they really put a lot of care and work into hard work into Halo Reach. But remember that Bungie already had their sights set on Destiny when they were making Halo Reach. They were already like so excited to be getting away from Microsoft after what was, you know, a pretty like quote, like toxic deal apparently between them, you know, they didn't have a great relationship back in those days, unfortunately, because that was an era of a different Xbox, a different Microsoft. So there, there was a lot of like, the way I've always interpreted it is that Halo reach feels very much like, a Hey, this is our last chance to do Halo. Let's do it right. But also we're working on this new project for called destiny. And we have a lot of interesting ideas. So let's, Try and flesh some of those ideas out or test some things in this last Halo game that we're contractually obligated to make. And I think that's where you get some of those Spartan ability things. I think that's where you get some of those like weird gun designs. I think that's where you get things like the mission where you get to fly a ship and all that stuff. Like, so Halo Reach is definitely, I think it takes a lot of liberties with the formula. But to me, I think it works out, especially in the context of like this spin-off non Master Chief Halo game where it's allowed to be a little different. I think Halo Reach works. I love it. I love the gameplay. I think it's very well balanced. It's visually stunning. The story is incredible. I think the ending of Halo Reach is one of the most impactful endings. I'm doing a lot of like top three, top five quotes today, but like top five Ultimate endings in a video game ever. The end of Halo Reach. I think that is one of the most emotionally impactful. Like, this isn't a spoiler. If you haven't played Halo Reach, you're going to hell. So it's just like I'm, I'm going to talk about it anyway. But like that that part where like like the all of your all of your squad is dead. Like you've watched them fall one by one. And then the planet is just being completely glassed by the covenant and you have no fucking way of survival, no way out of this. You like served your purpose. You got Cortana to the, you got, you successfully got Cortana transported, but that part where you, you get Cortana successfully to the pillar of autumn and your mission's complete. And it's just like you as a human, you as a Spartan you as a a tool in the grand scheme of the UNSC, like your objective is complete. You're done. You have no way of survival. And then you're just like that, that amazing part where it's like, it starts just like any other Halo level ever, you know, and by that point, there's been so many Halo games that you've played so many Halo levels and just starts out like all things normal but like your visors like cracked and it just says like mission objective survive it's like what the fuck does that mean it's so vague and cryptic and then you just you shoot and like your, your brain's tricked for a second you're like okay I guess I gotta fight off these guys and then we're gonna regroup with someone and get off of here and then like it just it's like you're playing a level of like a horde mode you're like wait what the fuck is happening like where am I supposed to go just this massive battlefield and you play the game like you stay alive for like two minutes three minutes and it just starts slowly dawning on you you're like wait what what the fuck am I supposed to do am I just supposed to die here is it gonna trigger a cutscene like what do I do and like that's just one of the most amazing Amazingly pulled off moments in all of storytelling and video game history, where it's just like your objective is literally you can you can end this in a, in two seconds, or you can keep fighting and try to hold off as long as you want. But obje- eventually, your objective is to just die. Like you cannot survive this. I think just like trying to tell that story in Halo of like you know like the struggle of humanity to to reclaim their, you know, their world and save earth and, and to fight off the covenant and everything. It's like, it's, it's such like a, a background part to the story. If you're thinking of like the context, like halo one and things like that, but then you play reach and it really puts into context. It makes it like such a, such a, you know, an emotional and, and relatable story where you really connect with and feel with these characters. And you're just like, holy shit, this is like, this is it. Like, everyone just dies here. And then this whole planet that's known, like, where humans live and and thrive and where the military, like, trains and and plans and, you know, collects and everything. They're just, this is it. It's just over. I think that's just one of the most amazing things in the world. And, And Halo Reach will always be such a high point in the series for me because, like, the whole game is great. That campaign is so fun. I like the multiplayer a lot. I played... So much of that multiplayer when I was a freshman in high school, and uh, but that uh, that ending is just such an amazing moment. It's not not just in video game history, but just in storytelling history. That's it, that that ending is actually a perfect example of like why I say I have such a special place in my heart for video games and theme parks because it's one of those examples of taking the like our, our traditional concept of storytelling and pushing it in a new way through an interactive media that makes you just connect with things on a different level and appreciate them on a different level. It's so, it's so different, you know, it'd be so different if you're watching a movie and it's like, yeah, towards the end of the movie, you see the guy and he gets in a big fight and then he gets shot and he dies. And then the kind of movie, you know, gets the end from there. But it's like, that's one thing. Or you read a book and it's like, and then so-and-so died. The narrator says something, but like, this is such a really crazy way of putting that control and putting that story element in the player's hands by being like, yeah, you do the thing you always do in video games. You control the character and you try to shoot, you know, pew pew all the bad guys. But it's like, no, this is it like your objective is to fail and I just think I don't know I think it's just such that was that's one of the most memorable moments in all of gaming to me, and I'll always, like, have such a special place in my heart for Halo Reach for, for giving me that that memory in that moment. So, Halo Reach is a fantastic game. I think it doesn't get enough love, but I've been really happy to actually see that I think people are actually a lot more fond of it retroactively now that it's on Master Chief Collection, now that it's 10 years old, and now that, you know, a lot of the people who remember it fondly are the people who were, like, young like me when it came out, and not the people who were, like, 25, 30, you know, veteran, quote-unquote, Halo players who were un- unsatisfied with it because it wasn't a carbon copy of what they got the last time. Cause we all know that's what fanboys want. They just want the same fucking dish served to them a million times with nothing different. And if you ever take a Liberty with something they love or try to evolve it in any way, then you've ruined it. Kathleen Kennedy, you fucking ruined it. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you writing in about that. I do talk a lot about four and five because I think three, four, three gets such an unfair rep. I really think 343 knows exactly what they're doing with Halo. I love the way they tried to evolve the franchise. I'm really sad to see that they're backpedaling so much on what they created with 4 and 5 in effort to make people like Infinite more. But I still think Infinite is extremely exciting and I cannot wait for it, but... Yeah, Halo, Halo Reach is a phenomenal game that deserves a lot of love and respect. And uh, our last comment for the day, goddamn, this comment section is running long. Uh, last one is from Tanali Maya, who says, Jesse, I apologize for the dearth of brevity in this comment, but I would like to provide your listeners with some perspective. Before we allow an antagonist, before we allow the antagonistic ponies uh, uh, to rustle our feathers, consider the following: that we are entering Sony's PlayStation Sony PlayStation's fifth generation with Microsoft's Xbox as its greatest rival in a tremendous feat in itself. 20 years ago, Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer did not want to fund a gaming project. However, upon considering Sony's contemporaneous advancements, in computer processing uh, and and drive technologically, and how said products were steadily invading the American home, Microsoft decided to enter the gaming world. So as to fend off the Japanese giant from significantly threatening its market share. But don't take my word for it. I've attached a link where a former Microsoft executive detailed the company's decision. And there's a YouTube link that I totally meant to watch and I really apologize, but I haven't seen it yet. So I, I might watch that later. Flash forward to today, Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer are no longer at Microsoft. The company's net worth stands at $1 trillion and the extensive list of products, services and subscriptions that consistently provide revenue where they you know anyway uh, Sony is doing well at 70 billion dollars but the PlayStation is clearly its chief money maker and now other titans industry now other titans and in industries like Google, Amazon and Apple are looking to enter the gaming realm all of those boring facts aside i just want to remind all of you that in its own way Microsoft has already scored a victory making its decision to introduce Game Pass and tie in XCloud all the more impressive, if you ask me. 20 years later, it is Microsoft that is providing us with new modes of play, taking bold risks to improve our gaming experiences. I plan on purchasing the Series X, not because of the impressive launch lineup, but because I want to feel what my favorite games will play like on next gen. I'm getting the Series X because I appreciate how Microsoft is trying to shape a more versatile and accessible landscape wherein I may lose myself in the joys of gaming. You know, I didn't read this until just now because I wanted to have a kind of organic reaction to it because I just love your comments so much. I'm a huge fan of your comments, Tenali, but that was incredibly well put, you know, like all the usual uh, joking aside, like this is actually a really well put point about Microsoft and it kind of... Better puts something I'm always scratching at but never really saying, uh, which is exactly exactly what you get at here. That you know, Microsoft. It's not about how many boxes did you sell, how many units of PS4 versus Xbox One were pushed, and all that stuff. Because you're right, it's it's a bigger game than that. When you're comparing Microsoft and Sony, Microsoft's a significantly bigger player, and and they're they're doing things in new and innovative ways. I I liken I liken what Microsoft has done with Xbox in in recent history to what Surface always was. And that's just, I'm a massive Microsoft Surface fan as I am with most Microsoft things. But I I think it's a great analog to it because, you know, the whole purpose of the Surface line was, you know, Microsoft needs to make a premier, sexy, groundbreaking uh, line of hardware products to say, this is what... You know, this is what Windows can be. This is the kind of hardware that can complement Windows. Uh, and this is what how we envision, you know, users being able to interact with Windows and interact with computer hardware and ways in which we can make people more productive and more creative and, and do more with our software and, and with your hardware. And so the Surface is, yeah, it's a Microsoft-made piece of hardware that you can buy if you want it. But its bigger purpose is to say, hey, Dell, Lenovo, uh, you know um, – Asus, Razer, all you big OEMs, all you big manufacturers of of Windows computers, this is what we think you can do with Windows. This is what we think you can do with the personal PC. Feel free to take this design of a tablet with a kickstand and a removable and a removable uh, keyboard that's a, also a cover or an inking pen, touchscreen, or a fucking laptop that rips in half of a, a fucking desktop that like turns into a canvas for artists. All these kinds of products, they say, yeah, you can buy those if you want. They're really expensive, and they're really, you know, they're they're really kind of over the top products for the diehards that really have to have that nerdy Microsoft shit. But that's not really what Surface is about. Surface is about saying this product sets the standard and sets the bar for what we think you can do with Windows and what you can do with the the hardware that matches Windows. Now you take that as inspiration and go wild with it. And so now you can see what Razer made with their new PCs. You can see what Dell and Lenovo and all these companies have made as a result of being inspired by products like the Surface Book, the Surface Pro, the Surface Studio and all that shit. And and what we've seen is the the PC market has gotten significantly more interesting in the past 10 years that, you know, in the past decade or so that Surface has been has been around because Microsoft is saying, "Hey, we have the vision, we have the ca- the capability to create this shit and we want to empower users and companies to do more with it." And I think that's kind of what we're seeing in Xbox. Is we're seeing Xbox turn into a platform where they're like, listen, Xbox can be so much more than a box that sits next to your TV in your living room and you hold a controller and you play a video game. Like, why can't it be on your phone and on your computer and everywhere and on different versions of hardware and on expensive hardware and on affordable hardware so that everyone can play it regardless of your economic background or what kind of devices you have access to or what part of the world you live in why can't everyone have access to Xbox and interact with it in different ways that they see fit that tailors their gaming needs and i think that's really the important part of xcloud and game pass and i know i sound like a giant microsoft xbox pr guy and i'm happy to sound that way because Again, as just a massive fan of the Xbox brand of Surface, of Microsoft, whatever, it makes me so excited to see this kind of stuff because it's not not excited because, oh, Microsoft's going to make so much money off of this and we're going to kick Sony's ass in a fanboy way or like a console war way. Not, not for that reason, but because... I love companies, and this is why I love so many tech companies. I love companies that inspire and change the status quo. This is why I stopped buying Apple. It's not because Apple's lame. Apple still makes great products, but Apple got really stagnant and boring, and stopped pushing the envelope. This is why I love Microsoft so much these days, is because Microsoft makes really cool shit. I'm so excited for the Surface Duo because I think Surface Duo, you know, whether it might fail. A lot of Microsoft things fail, let's be honest. But it could potentially inspire, you know, the phone market have become a little more interesting because the phone markets become a little stale you know android's always been more interesting than iphone just because there are so many so many companies making doing their own take on this but let's not lie like it's become boring and stagnant in all corners of the market i think samsung's doing a pretty good job of trying to make things interesting with their folding phones um but this is just what i love about microsoft it's saying getting these things into more people's hands finding new ways to interact with this shit and and making it inspiring and innovative and productive and accessible, and this is this is very indicative of the of the Satya Nadella era of Microsoft, the current newer era of Microsoft. But it makes me so excited because I like this is I don't know it ties into like my love of Epcot and my love of Tesla and my love of Microsoft. It's because it's just so inspiring and exciting and new and innovative, and I just want more of that, and I want. I want to see people be inspired more and to be excited more and to be, you know, I don't know, just just be more just interested in what's going on in the world. And I think, you know, that's why I'm so excited. I, I, you make such a great point because that's that's kind of why I'm still buying Series X. That's kind of why I'm more excited for Series X than PS5 because PS5 looks like a really great console with a really great lineup of games. I'm not going to sit here and be a console fanboy like Console War person about this and say that ps5 looks like a piece of shit because it looks like a really solid next generation console even though it's technically less powerful than the series x that doesn't matter it looks like a great console but it's less exciting than the xbox series x because the playstation 5 is like the iphone 7 the iphone 8 the iphone 9 the iphone 10 it's like yeah it's just another playstation but the xbox series x is like no this is we're busting the gate wide open if you don't think the xbox series x looks fun because it's like, oh, it's just powerful and doesn't have a bunch of new exclusive games. It's like, cool, play your old Xbox. Cool, play it on your phone. Cool, play it on your PC. And I think that's really empowering to say, use any accessory, use any peripheral, use any piece of hardware, stream it, play it natively. I don't care. Just enjoy it how you see fit. And that's really exciting to me. That that shakes up the games industry uh, in a way that we just haven't seen so long. And to me... I don't know, that's, that's more so than any specific video game. That's what I'm most excited about for the future of gaming is the way we're shaking up the ways we interact with and play. And I really appreciate that comment, you know, uh, Tenali, just because uh, that that got me all shaken up and, ex- and inspired. So I, I really appreciate... Uh, your sentiment and your your knowledge there and your insight man with that said with that really fun comment uh, to cap things off let's jump into the news a a rather slow and somewhat boring news week that won't be as exciting but before I before I can tell you about the news I gotta tell you what I've been playing but before I can tell you what I've been playing I've got to tell you what I've been eating Uh, and we talked a lot about food already so I'll just I'll go through it fast Some gyoza. I finally went to an Asian supermarket here in Florida. I've been meaning to explore and find a good Asian supermarket. My work moved me to yet another new branch recently, so I I, I got a new commute to work. I found a a smaller Asian supermarket that's in between my apartment and my new branch at work, and I popped in there the other day and said, I really miss this kind of stuff. What kind of fun shit can I find here? And I I found some gyoza. Gyoza, for those of you who aren't uninitiated it's basically like pot stickers, whatever, uh, but I found some amazing looking gyoza in the frozen food aisle, bought a big old bag of those, and I've been uh, eating them. They're very delicious, and I very much have been missing that. I won't get too much into that otherwise because we we talk so much about food on this podcast, but yeah, as for what I've been playing, I finished up Halo 5 with my brother, so in the past couple of weeks, we successfully played through Halos 1 through 5 and ODST. We skipped Reach because we both recently played Reach. Independently in 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 recent in the recent months, so uh, yeah, I've, I've played every Halo game as a refresher in recent history. I guess I didn't play Halo Wars one, but in the past few months, I've played every Halo game except Halo Wars one. I just love that. I love that franchise. Also, I played Fall Guys. I, I got a month of PlayStation Plus because I was really curious about this game, and it's really cute. It's really charming. It's really fun, and I cannot wait to continue to enjoy it when it finally comes to Xbox. Uh, and then I got my girlfriend really hooked on that game as well. So that's kind of the new thing in the apartment is I'm not I'm not really playing games so much this week. I've been trying to read a little more, uh, just focus on some other things and, and try to diversify my free time. Um, but yeah, my girlfriend's been pretty into Fall Guys. That seems to be the thing. But with that said, all that shit, two hours into the podcast, we're, we're now 180 million minutes into the recording. We will finally jump into some Xbox news for this Kind of slow and lackluster news week. All right, so our first story comes from or is is all about the Call of Duty. A few weeks ago, we were saying, where the hell is Call of Duty? And then finally, after some really stupid tiny teases that didn't say much of anything, we finally got official reveal for the latest Call of Duty. So Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War is the official title of the game. And just like the rumors, yes, it is being made by Treyarch with support from Raven and then of course from a bunch of other support studios because everything Activision owns works on Call of Duty. But yeah, it looks like Sledgehammer was basically removed from this project. It seems that the rumors and the reports and the and all that was pretty much spot on and, and this is what's happening here is that is that Treyarch got bumped up a year and, and they took over this project. So I gotta be honest, I wanted to like roll my eyes and not give a shit about this because especially with Treyarch Call of Duty games in recent history, I just haven't cared much about them but the trailer they released for this was actually pretty interesting it's uh it's kind of just a tonal piece that doesn't show any gameplay they said that they'll have an official reveal which i assume means gameplay on august 26th so we'll get that in about a week and then of course it's coming to xbox series x and xbox one and pc and all that good shit. so um we'll have to wait for more on that but i actually thought the i, I actually thought that the little teaser trailer they showed was actually pretty cool it's it's uh it's, it's a nice tonal piece i'm not really gonna get much into it but it's just kind of speech about, you know, about like, like you didn't you didn't think your government could be kind of overrun by like this kind of oligarchy uh, until it finally happens. And, and I guess it's it's hinting at the story being kind of about government corruption, all this stuff, which makes sense. It kind of plays into the Black Ops uh, story. Um, but I'm, I'm actually kind of curious to see what this uh, story in this campaign is going to be about, because, Hell, I'll be excited if we're two for two. You know, if this is if this is the second Call of Duty in a row that I've been interested in and I want to pick this one up, I'll, that'll be really exciting because I always Call of Duty is a series I always want to like. I always want to be into the new Call of Duty. It's just that more often than not these days I don't care about whatever the latest Call of Duty is. Last year was a really pleasant uh, surprise because I thought Modern Warfare was really good. In fact, I've actually been getting the itch to go back and play it again lately. So that'd be really awesome if Cold War ends up being another really interesting Call of Duty game because I, I would like for Call of Duty to be fun and interesting to me every year, but it just that just isn't the case. So we'll keep our eyes peeled on this. Uh, if you want to go watch the teaser, you can. I'm not going to really get into it because it's this isn't a Call of Duty podcast. This isn't like a. Uh, I know most gamers try to be cool and try to pretend like Call of Duty isn't isn't good. Um, so we won't we won't get too into it. We'll talk more about this extensively when the actual gameplay reveal happens next week so look forward to that but yeah it, finally we got a, we got a, we got a, a name for the game we got a developer we got all that confirmed i assume this is coming out in november this will come out within days of the series x so um guaranteed i know they haven't put a date on it but 100% this is coming out in november probably the second or third week of november so Look forward to that. Next, we got this just dropped right before I record the show, so I didn't really go too much into writing good notes on this, but Xbox Wire dropped this whole piece on showing off for the first time the new Windows 10 UI and kind of uh, just overall aesthetic and look for the Xbox Series X, or I guess this will be the Xbox look in general across all platforms, you know, one series, phone, computer, whatever. And it looks it looks pretty damn good. Now, I have to preface with this, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit of like a of like a hater when it comes to like the newer Microsoft look. I, I love the way newer versions, newer builds of Windows 10 look looks and and the new blue in design that that Microsoft's been applying to all their icons and their logos and stuff recently it all looks very good but I have a I'm very and this I know is a a controversial take but I'm very partial to the Windows 8 Metro look especially the Windows 8.1 look that just goes back to my really deep love for windows phone. And I, I loved that era of Microsoft. I was just really excited for Microsoft back then. And I, I loved like the really sharp edges, boxy look of everything. So I loved that, that, that bled over to Xbox one when that first came out and that windows phone had it and that windows eight had it. And then when windows 10 came came out, it still had a good amount of that. Um, but we're seeing them really scale that back. So this is kind of me getting to like some nerdier shit that I don't think most people care about, but The new UI features a lot of, like, rounded corners and stuff, not as much as that, like, kind of uh, brutal, sharp, boxier look that Windows 8 and earlier Windows 10 have, Um, so it's a lot more clean, it's a lot less busy looking, it's a lot more spaced out and rounded, um, and there's a lot more, of like, a transparent effect on everything, I think it looks really good. Um, you can go and look up the article on Xbox Wire. You may have already seen it circulating around the internet. This was getting a lot of traction today, it seems, according to the uh, social media. But yeah, so, the, I mean, the bigger thing to all this is that things will be better organized, uh, snappier. The OS will run better and be easier to access. We know about the store, which has been rolling out to insiders lately um, and how it looks very good. And It's very, very fast and efficient and well-organized. And people have been saying some really great things about that. So expect that kind of design aesthetic and that kind of design philosophy implemented throughout the entire user interface on the Series X and on Xbox going forward. So, and I think what they're really going for here is is, is a parody, having more features and options across all devices, whether you're on your PC or your your phone or your Xbox console itself, and kind of giving you that kind of versatility in in those editing tools and all that across everything, taking more of that stuff everywhere you go. So uh, they say Xbox is ready to go where you are this this little snippet says Xbox Series X will set a new uh, a new bar for speed when it launches this November we'll take the same approach to accelerate experiences across Xbox the velocity architecture and quick resume technology makes games quicker to launch and we knew we also wanted to make them faster to discover talk about it, download even while you're away from your console your phone your PC your console all working together anytime you have available to spend gaming is valuable and we want to ensure that it's time spent playing not waiting the Xbox home screen will load more than 50% faster when you boot up your console and almost 30% faster when you load in when you're returning from a game furthermore these improvements use 40% less memory than previously required so that's some really impressive statistics some really important numbers uh, that are just going to make Navigating, getting in and out of things, just faster, easier, smoother. I think the really important thing here is how they implement that with mobile. Because my only gripe really with the X Cloud experience was that the the process of like selecting a game and then loading into it, it just takes so long. And I understand that's a lot of impressive processing that's happening, you know, to stream a game remotely, you know, to stream an Xbox game onto a phone. But if they can find out a way to pare down that kind of time to get into the action between, you know, picking up your phone and getting into an Xbox game. I think that will be really critical. And that's probably where they want to spend a lot of their time focusing on the speed and fluidity of getting into gaming, especially with this newer generation. But yeah, they, they want to be able to really expand the mobile app, uh, allowing, you know, Your notifications and everything and your party chats and invites and messages to really uh, pair well between all platforms and things like that, which we've kind of seen a little bit already. It looks like they're fleshing out these apps, finalizing the mobile ones, getting the PC desktop one out of beta and into a more stable form. And then, of course, just improving the already well-loved and well-known Uh, Xbox user interface on our home consoles so that's really exciting it looks really pretty there's some videos and demos I saw on Twitter you can go the Xbox wire for a more in-depth look or you can check out YouTube find your favorite Xbox YouTuber for some really cool dollar shave club ads paired with some uh, information about that UI now our next one that just kind of popped up right before I hit record was this uh, Xbox Series S uh, supposed spec leak as I told you, I'm really fucking tired of speculating and, and talking about these things that may or may not be, but this seems like a pretty um, a pretty substantial leak. From TweakTown, the, the website, who uh, broke down these uh, leaked or rumored specs that we've been seeing. And so just to kind of go over them, it seemed pretty much in line with a lot of what we've been seeing, but basically we're looking at an eight core processor clocked at 3.8 gigahertz with a custom Zen 2 CPU. Graphics, we're looking at four teraflops, uh, 1.55 gigahertz custom RDNA to GPU. For process, we're looking... For memory, we're looking at 10 gigabytes of GDDR6 RAM. And we're looking for, of course, that expandable storage to be compatible with this device. And for, of course, external storage to be compatible as well. For the performance target, we're looking at 1440p at 60 FPS. So this actually sounds like a pretty a pretty beefy console you know from this uh this small leak of specs assuming this i this is one of those things you know everything with like seeing the control everywhere and all that this is a pretty poorly kept secret i'm just assuming most of this is is relatively accurate maybe there's some some inconsistencies slightly here and there with some of these numbers but Until Microsoft says otherwise, I'm pretty much just assuming that all this stuff is pretty damn accurate um, because this is how Microsoft leaks normally are. Like, we knew so much about the specs for the Surface Duo before Microsoft talked about them, and we knew so much about... Like, Microsoft's one of those companies, when it comes to their hardware, it's so easy to find a lot of leaked data on this shit. So, like, it's usually not too far off base from what what we're actually getting. So that's kind of why I trust this, and we've just seen so many reports with very similar specs like this. But... i only really bring up the story you know despite my constantly being tired of talking about the speculation of next gen i mostly just bring this up to say it looks like uh it looks like the series s is going to be no slouch and i know a lot of you guys were bringing that to my attention as i was kind of underselling it a a month or so back um but yeah it looks like you guys are totally right this thing looks like it's going to be a a nice a nice alternative and and my guess is that this is going to be a 400 hundred dollar box so pretty decent specs for 400 bucks i think I'm, I'm pretty confident at this point that the Series X is a $600 box and the S is a $400 box. What they're trying to do is is box in the, play, the PlayStation price. I think PS5 is probably going to be $500 or $550. So I think what they're going to do is they're going to have the more powerful Xbox that's just a tad bit more expensive and then the more entry-level Xbox that's... A little bit cheaper than the PlayStation Five, so no matter how you do it, you can get into Xbox on uh, on a price that fits your budget or that's at least competitive with what Sony's offering. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a uh, I'm fairly certain that's what we're looking at here: is a Series S for 399, a Series X for 599. And I think the PlayStation will probably be dollars 4.99 for the discless and 4.49 for the uh, model with a disc. That's that's my speculation. We can we can put bets on it, guys. Feel free to push your chips into the into the the, the gambling pot we've got stirring here, and uh, let me know what you think about that. But I'm really tired of talking about. The speculation of next-gen shit. I'm ready for Xbox to just spill the fucking beans on the Series S already. It's uh, it's an awfully kept secret, and I think it'd just be better for the marketing at this point to just say something about it. But with that said, let's get into our first, like, bigger, real news story of the week. So Phil Spencer was recently on, on a Twitch show called Animal Talking, where he expanded on some recent news about Halo Infinite's delay. During the conversation with uh, host Gary Wida, Spencer got into some interesting news about uh, at, at one point Microsoft had considered releasing the game in pieces. The quote reads, let me start by just recognizing the fans and the fact that this is a bummer. It's a it's really disappointing to people. It's disappointing to us. We were looking forward to the the alignment of Halo Infinite in the Series X. In the end, I had to make the right decision. The strength of the Halo franchise, the health and the ability of the team are things tracking uh, toward the quality of where you want the game. Uh, So Windows Central expands on this story, saying that Spencer went on to comment at one point that he and 343 Industries' Bonnie Ross... Uh, and Xbox Game Studios' Matt Booty considered the pros and cons of releasing Halo Infinite in smaller pieces in order to successfully launch into something alongside the Series X in 2020, basically meaning, like, oh, let's do a little bit of, like, maybe we'll do the multiplayer first, uh, and then the campaign later, but the campaign we'll do, like, in phases or something like that. However, this idea was ultimately scrapped in favor of a full delay, which Spencer stated uh, that he felt was the best call. He says, quote, it didn't just feel uh, like to all of us, like Halo like the halo release we would want i'll apologize to the fans because i never like to set up expectations and then not meet them but i also believe we're making the right decision in the long run for xbox and halo customers alike see i 100 agree with this and based on y'all's feedback to uh the the delay it seems like kind of exactly what you'd want to hear from spencer which is just like hey I get it. This is a massive bummer not having Halo because you got to read between the lines a little bit here. This isn't just Spencer. You know, Spencer's a good guy. He's a nice guy. And, and he, and I, I assume he means it when he says, you know, I don't want to disappoint the fans. I don't want to break the bad news to you. But we got to do this, you know, for the well-being of the team and for the for the quality of the product and all that. I believe all of that. But also what you got to understand here is that releasing uh, a not ready, a not fully ready to go version of Halo Infinite could be catastrophic. This is a this is a franchise that suffered some serious blowback after the botched release of the Master Chief collection in the early Xbox One days, you know, and rightfully so that game was a fucking mess for the longest time and yeah, they turned the ship around and it's one of the best Purchases you can make in gaming history now it wasn't always that way and so that that did a lot of damage and then Halo 5 despite being a fucking incredible sequel to Halo 4 um, brought in a lot of controversy in and of itself people like to shit on the campaign and say Halo isn't Halo anymore and all, all these things and we won't get into that but there's no denying you know regardless of how you feel and regardless of how much I like Halo 5 Halo is a franchise that's taken a bit of a beating and 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 it has been one of those things where like you know you'd be lying you'd be lying through your teeth if you said Halo 5 impacted you know made as positive and big an impact on the gaming world the way Halo 3 did and no it just absolutely didn't. Halo 3 was a fucking monstrous event. It was it was like it was a milestone in gaming history that you know the whole world had to stop and take a look at. Halo 5 came out and it was like a big holiday game and not much more, you know, like, Everyone talked about it a little bit. It got some news coverage. It sold well. People played it. People still play it. It was a great sequel to Halo. But it wasn't a light the world on fire, next must-play game, you know, that got everyone in the world talking about Halo and reinvigorating the brand in a way that it had never been before, you know, reinvigorated. So it's important to note that that's kind of the situation with Halo. And Halo Infinite can't afford to be like Halo 5 again. You know, Halo Infinite has to be like halo 3 halo infinite has to be like zelda breath of the wild it has to be a game that gets people constantly talking about how great halo is and how good it is to be back and how much it it pays homage to the original halo while also bringing the series forward into the future it has to be all of these things and that's that's an impossible expectation to live up to but even if they don't make that it has to be at the very least a really incredible game and they can't afford to be like, oh, well, we're gonna release it in pieces. That's gonna piss people off. They can't afford to be like, oh, well, we'll we'll patch in the RTX update later. Like, no, release this whole product ready to go on day one. I know it's a platform. I know you're gonna add to it in the coming years, but what we need to do, is, is really focused on getting that day one release as polished and perfect and ready to go as possible. We need it to be a game that the developers can put out and say, I am a hundred percent proud of this game and a hundred percent confident that we did the best we could do and that we made this product, you know, what it needed to be. And I know that's not realistically a way that a full development team's ever gonna feel, but we need to get as close to that as possible. And I don't I think it was pretty evident that where we were after that reveal last month wasn't close enough to where we need to be. So, that's really important to Xbox. It's really important to Microsoft. I think I think it's an easier blow to take that like the console's going to come out without a big killer app at first and then eventually get it than for it to come out with what's supposed to be a big killer app and then to watch it flop and not be what it needs to be so that that's kind of a dead horse at this point we'll stop talking about the halo delay but yeah spencer just kind of has always been pretty honest and transparent about all the details behind something that happened and of course i appreciate that as it seems we all do um but yeah so i, I i'm starting to think i know last week i was saying i think halo is going to be like probably a summer game uh, i'm starting to think late summer early fall it might it might be like a, a fall 2021 game i don't know I'm still kind of hoping for like a a May-June release, but I could see a September release. I don't know. Maybe we can go back to old-school Halo where everything comes out in like September. Halo is usually a September or November game, except with Halo 5 when it came out on October 27th, 2015. A day for whatever reason. It's just etched into my stupid fucking psyche for some reason but our next story here is all about your favorite company everyone's favorite gaming company ea games they announced this week that they will be renaming their ea access subscription service this month beginning on august 18th ea access and ea origin access will be renamed to ea play which yes is the exact same name they use for their reoccurring e3 replacement event that they're doing they've been doing for the past few years the service will be getting a visual overhaul, although not much has been confirmed to this change. The service will still offer a handful of EA games to play a la Xbox Game Pass, but with a much smaller library and just EA games. Uh, Subscribers will still have access to a 10% discount on EA-related digital purchases, including games. Um, And the updated version of the service promises new features, although we don't know much about them as of yet. So I think this is an important thing to do just because in a world where game pass is starting to really blow up and take off something like EA access or is it really runs the risk of just being kind of totally forgotten and pushed to the side. So I think this is a smart move for EA to be like, Hey, let's recollect and try to at least in like a marketing sense, relaunch this thing and, and get it, you know, kind of reorient what this is and, and get a more cohesive and coherent marketing kind of uh th- push around this thing. So I get that. Ultimately, I think, I think EA Access is dumb, just because it's like... Just like any Netflix, Hulu kind of subscription service, there's only room in the consumer's hearts for so many of these, you know? Netflix has proven itself. Disney Plus has proven itself. Hulu has proven itself. It looks like HBO Max has proven itself. But you see these things like Peacock and whatever that... uh, That Quibi or whatever, it's like... There are some of these where it's like... It's a little questionable. It's like, eh, (laughs) really? But, you know, it's getting to this point... I, where it, there, there's only room for so many of these. I don't even know how the Apple one's doing. I know Apple has Apple TV Plus or whatever. It's like, eh, is, I'm not, why am I going to subscribe like eight services for TV? I'm just going to pick two or three of them and, and be done with it, right? And I think we're going to run into that problem with gaming as we get more into the subscription shit where it's like Game Pass is objectively, like it's, even, even though I don't like Netflix, so I don't like using this as the example, Netflix is is largely considered the king of video streaming services, right? Game Pass is the Netflix, right? Where it's it's like you have your originals. and Netflix makes their original shows, so you have your your Game Pass originals, which is your Xbox first party games, and then you have all your third party games, all your all your beloved uh cross, uh, third party like The Office and your things like that. The Office and your of Development or whatever the fuck it is you watch. Orange is the New Black. I guess that's an original show. I don't fucking know what TV is, but you can watch all that you know on X on 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 Netflix and then on. Xbox Game Pass, you've got like the kind of similar story of like the primary content and the secondary content, the first party stuff and the third party stuff. EA Access is like, why the fuck would I pay for this? It's it's barely cheaper than Game Pass and you just get EA games. It's like, I'd rather just have... A couple of these EA games kind of rotate in and out of Game Pass from time to time because it's like, think about EA's library; it's kind of varied. So it's like, who is like such a fan of just EA? Like, who is like, oh yeah, I pay ten bucks a month because I love playing Battlefield, Battlefront, and uh, FIFA and and Madden. It's like, what? Like, that's what you play? You play like those specific games? It's just, it's a weird service. Because it's like I can't picture a guy who's like, oh yeah, tonight I only do EA Access. That's that's my thing. That's why tonight we're gonna go home and play some Anthem, and then we're gonna jump into some Titanfall two, and then we're gonna play some Madden. It's like it's just such a weird. I don't think their their library isn't diverse enough to really justify their own service. It's like you got a couple shooters, you got a couple sports games. It's like and you got Need for Speed. It's like what i mean i guess that's a nice I mean, library the, you could do worse i guess you could be like activision and be like if activision did an online service like this like a subscription service it would just be a million fucking call of duty games and crash bandicoot you know it'd be like what what the fuck is this it's like tony hawk crash bandicoot and 700 call of duty games like that's a subscription service so i i mean i guess you could do worse but like i think ea access pretty much speaks for itself that it's like no, no one needs this. So I I appreciate the attempt to rename it. I think it's a good idea if you're going to hang on to this, but ultimately my, my speculation, I don't, I don't have numbers on this. I don't know if EA has released numbers on this, but I would bet that EA access isn't doing too hot. And this is like a, an attempt to kind of save it before they cancel it. But yeah, I guess, I guess some people out there are subscribed to this. I do find it weird that their PC version of it and their console version of it have different names. I, I know Origin is like their Steam competitor, their Epic Game Store competitor, so that's why it has a different name, but interesting that they had different names. It's it's good that they're at least unifying the two services now, so there's that. And then our next one here comes by way of IGN. It is that developer behind the Metro series is working on the Metro franchise and a new AAA IP after being acquired by THQ Nordics holding company Embracer Group for around $80 million. Embracer Group picked up 4A Games, its proprietary game engine, and the Metro IP in the deal. The Ukraine-based studio will now operate as an independent studio under Saber Interactive, which Embracer Group also acquired this year. Just as an aside, Embracer Group is owned by, like, like Coke Media and stuff, and then that's where you have THQ Nordic and all that underneath it. They're that massive company that just keeps buying every fucking studio that made AA games um, ever, and I kind of love them, but... We'll Continuing on, it says, As for what's next with the studio in the wake of the acquisition, 4A Games CEO Dean Sharp uh, issued a statement, quote, Together we will continue to build on the Metro franchise and we will focus on bringing new multiplayer experiences to our fan base. That's weird. Uh, Sharp also added that the team is looking forward to, quote, building uh, a new and even more ambitious AAA IP in the near future. So that's weird that they're going to do something multiplayer related with Metro, a uh, very single player focused franchise. The story continues, 4A will be working with Saber collaboratively on, quote, an entirely new project that combines the AAA production values of 4A Games and the combined engine technology and know-how of Saber's experience on multiplayer and live operations. So it looks like 4A Games is working on two new projects right now, a Metro project and a collaboration with Saber Interactive that may feature multiplayer and a new AAA IP. Not satisfied with just 4A Games, Embracer Group also picked up Sola Media, Powwow Entertainment, Palindrome Interactive, Rare Earth Games, Deca Games. New World Interactive, and Vermilia Studios in the most recent acquisition spree. So they now own like like 20, 30, 40 studios. I have no fucking idea how they're doing that. Oh, but I guess they kind of bring in what I I said here. They say the release notes. The release notes how this news marks an important milestone for the relationship between 4A Games and Deep Silver slash Coke Media. Uh, The publishing arm of Metro series, which is also owned by Embracer, Embracer Group, In other Embracer Group news, it was announced that back in May, the holding company has 69 unannounced games. So yeah, they're working on a million games all at the same time with all these billions of studios they own and all this money that comes presumably from nowhere. I I don't fucking know. It sounds like embracer group needs to i don't know maybe so i think what's really important here especially in the xbox light is that i think 4a games was a good potential match for xbox if you want to talk about acquiring new studios now the only thing that holds me back from this is that they were from they're from the ukraine and they were kind of like building these metro games during a time of like of like civil war in their country so they were uh kind of not they're kind of developing game developing games in a precarious kind of environment um, and and I, I apparently they've been relocated or they have a new studio or they're somewhere now in like one of the uh, one of the Swede kind of countries. So hopefully things are good for the the team. But maybe it's a weird studio to own and maintain if you're someone like Microsoft. But um, kind of interesting for for uh, Embracer and for THQ Nordic, just because I think 4A Games is kind of like a step above what THQ Nordic does. But also I guess kind of right in line with it. This feels somewhat appropriate, but also somewhat surprising. I don't know. I'm fine with it. I feel like this is a fair acquisition. But what's really interesting here is that not only are they working on a new AAA game, which I think is expected. These guys are really ambitious and talented. But the fact that they're working on a new AAA or a new Metro experience that's probably multiplayer in nature and in in collaboration with Saber, this is weird. I, I hope this isn't a battle royale. I'll say that much, but... No, no, not not too much to get into. I don't. I'm not familiar enough with 4A to really get knee deep in all of this. But my guess is that maybe they're just looking for something that's like more of a cash cow, like that kind of thing. Every every studio is looking for, every publisher is looking for these days, which is like, how can we get on this persistent multiplayer bandwagon where we have something that makes money, um, while we continue to do our single player games on the side. And maybe this is 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 their way of saying, hey, 4A, will you guys be able to do maybe maybe a uh, Battle Royale in the Metro universe. As much as I don't like the idea of that, I think you could probably pull that off just because Metro, the, the universe of Metro is kind of dire and lends itself to such a, such a game mode or scenario that it might even be able to work, but we'll have to wait for more on that. Our next story here and our penultimate story, since it is a slow news week, um, is that DC has unveiled their panel lineup for DC Fandom, a 24-hour event that's set to begin on August 22nd, and among its lineup will will be first looks at two long-awaited rumored, teased games based on DC characters. As previously revealed via a single image featuring Superman in the crosshairs of the Suicide Squad, Rocksteady's Batman Arkham follow-up will be featured in a panel on August 22nd at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. DC also confirmed that the name for the game, uh, a version of which previously had been leaked, to be Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. The panel description currently reads, Will or hosts a highly anticipated video game reveal from Rocksteady Studios, creators of the Batman Arkham franchise. Also confirmed from the DC fandom event is that WB Montreal, w, WB Games Montreal is currently, or their currently untitled game, uh, the studio's first since Batman: Arkham Origins, uh, will be shown. The panel promises to announce a first look at the game, which has been teased a great deal this year without anything substantial. To show the studio released a teaser image back in the earlier part of the year, before COVID, before everyone uh, was dead and our country or our world was in shambles. Uh, and this is that one that was called like uh, Batman Order of the Owls or whatever the fuck it's called, but we're going to see some more on that. The Montreal game panel um, description for now only reads, Gamers, you won't have to miss the first look at a new exciting game and a QA and a with its developers, so I guess they're cryptically kind of or vaguely kind of hinting at whatever that new Batman game is. So I don't have much to say on this because I really don't care about DC games and DC her- heroes and things like that, but that name Suicide Squad Killed the Justice League it's one of the coolest fucking names for a video game in the history of video game names. So I gotta give Rock City some credit just because that's such a fucking cool name for a video game. So I, I like the idea, you know, Batman Arkham Asylum. I actually wish I finished that game because I actually really liked it. I, I only played the demo of it, but I, back in 2009 when it came out, but I actually really enjoyed that game a bit, I, quite a bit. I thought it was really fun. And I know it's like right up my alley. I just, I just really don't like Batman as a character. I find him so annoying so uninteresting so that stopped me from going back but I really do need to one of these days just go back and play at least the first one I don't really care for the second or third I know they're a little more open world and that kind of turns me off but the first one I know is a little more like a Metroidvania style it's more combat focused it's more linear and uh, I remember the combat feeling really good so I want to get back to that someday but uh, I cannot believe rocksteady hasn't put out a game in five years and we're just now learning about what's next from them it's just i mean i know you know their games are successful they're a renowned studio they're really well regarded these days but like fuck five years and and you're just working on the suicide squad game like i cannot believe i'm really intrigued to see how this game how this game works and, and what it does to push the envelope because it's like five years to get to this point that's Surprising, And uh, I think the only thing that could really save it would be if it's one of those, like, announce it this week, comes out in three months kinds of things. But I don't think that's the case. It's probably a 2021 game. But nonetheless, um, I'm I'm mildly interested to learn more about that. As for the WB Montreal game, it's another Batman game. I'm not terribly interested in it, but we will see. I know a lot of you like these games. I know after the rumors of Microsoft potentially buying WB games interactive, I know a lot of you seem to be very interested into these studios into these properties so it seems like a lot of exciting stuff for some of you out there and uh i hope you are not disappointed when we learn more about them on what is the 22nd is that sunday is that saturday sunday saturday so we will talk about that more next week when we have the actual reveals shown and whatnot and then our final wrap-up story for the week is the npd numbers for the month of july are out these are the numbers that track the best selling games of the month and um of course they don't track uh uh digital sales for nintendo so you can always take whatever Nintendo games are on this list and push them up to the top because they probably sold a lot better than they are ranking on the list. But the July 2020 MPD numbers for the top 20 games sold in order were, from number one, Ghost of Tsushima, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, uh, which is the 2019 Call of Duty, uh, Paper Mario, The Origami King, The Last of Us Part Two, Animal Crossing New Horizons, Ring Fit Adventure, Mortal Kombat 11, at eight, we have Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, fitting, uh, nine, we have Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, Sword Art Online, whatever this is, uh, least Zaron, Lycarus, whatever the fuck that means, you anime weeb. At number 11, we got Minecraft PS4 Edition, 12 is Breath of the Wild, Zelda, uh, 13 is Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege, 14 is New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe, 15 is MLB The Show 20, 16 is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, 17 is Need for Speed Heat, 18 is Marvel's Spider-Man, 19 is Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and 20 is Call of Duty Black Ops 3. So that's a pretty standard list, I think. That new Paper Mario probably got closer to the number one spot once you count the digital sales, at least number two for sure. Uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons was at number five, which means it was probably at like number three because everyone's still buying. Animal Crossing New Horizons is gonna be like the new GTA 5 where you guys are just buying seconds and third copies. I don't fucking understand. There are only about 50 million switches out in the wild, so the fact that this game's going to sell like 80 million units means you guys are just, like I said, double, triple dipping on this. I don't, I don't get what's happening here. Ring Fit Adventure, uh, you know, Nintendo just dominating again. Ring Fit Adventure, Mario Kart, Smash Bros, Zelda, Super Mario Bros. U, always dominating, and you know, as always. Xbox just kind of having an, an abysmal showing. The only Xbox things really showing up here are the third-party games, of course. And Minecraft, I guess, counts, but it's the PS4 edition that ranks high up there, so that's kind of funny. With the exception of Call of Duty Black Ops 3 being at 20, being kind of interesting, I guess the game is just on sale. This seems like pretty standard stuff. Um, we do have, of course, Battletoads coming out in the... Or Battletoads will be out by the time you're listening to this podcast, but I wouldn't expect that to be anywhere on this list next month. So it's going to be a while before we see an Xbox game on here. Unless, unless Flight Simulator takes the world by storm, who knows? But then again, you, you know how it goes. Game Pass is going to really fuck up NPD numbers. We're not really going to see that be a relevant thing as much on Xbox now because a lot of people are going to be accessing games through Game Pass and not so much um, by buying them in traditional means. By traditional means. And then if you're curious, the top 10 best-selling games on the Xbox One were in order. Number one, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. 2, Mortal Kombat 11. 3, Sword Art, Sword Art Online Anime Whatever Webs Edition. Uh, 4, Minecraft Xbox One Edition. 5, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Breakpoint. 6, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege. 7, Forza Horizon 4. 8, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. 9, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And 10, Call of Duty Black Ops 3. So pretty similar list except the, the, the exception of a Ghost Recon Breakpoint being on there. Uh, that's always so interesting to me. It's like Breakpoint wasn't even on the top 20 but on the xbox list it it beats out rainbow six siege which was on the top 20 so i guess that just tells you that ghost recon breakpoint was on sale on xbox but i guess not on playstation so maybe that's how that happened but I, i just find that so interesting when you see things like that or i guess there's just a lot less competition for for games when you narrow it down to one platform versus three But that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Told you kind of a quick small news week. Uh, Now we'll wrap up with the important enough news stories, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion. So we'll rattle these off real quick. We've got one. Minecraft has just introduced a Jurassic World DLC that lets players train dinosaurs, build exhibits, as well as unlock 21 skins and discover more than 60 dinosaur species. Next, we got Halo 3 ODST's PC test flight is officially underway, and it includes a long-awaited return of Firefight, the best horde mode ever created, save for maybe Call of Duty's World at War Zombies mode, which was... Incredible. Along with ODST's, uh, the ODST stuff rather, comes the introduction of cosmetics and skins to Halo 3's multiplayer, which people seem to be really digging. I gotta check that out. Next, despite 343 saying that support for the game was officially over a few years ago, Halo Wars 2 of all games has actually just gotten an update. One of the most impactful, uh, one of the most impactful changes made was to nerf the damage that vultures and wraiths are able to put out against units meant to counter them. Additionally, the scorpion tank has also gotten a flat damage buff to help it compete with other tank units more effectively many leader units uh, were tweaked as well for example uh, leader jerome's movement speed was was reduced and leader colonel hunter captain's unit had its health reduced slightly and for some reason reading that just reminded me that for whatever reason just reading that reminded me that og man man when you commented about halo reach you also mentioned the halo fall of reach novel and i didn't even touch on the books so I don't know why that's just now dawning on me, but I'm sorry I didn't address that. If I could go back in time and re-record that segment, I would bring all that up as well, but we just don't have all the time in the world for me to nerd out about Halo. And then for our last two little tidbits, we've got Laszlo Jones, a veteran writer, producer of the radio show, host for Grand Theft Auto, uh, has left the Rockstar Studios after nearly 20 years. That's a big bummer. That's mostly there for me, just because Laszlo is the best part of Grand Theft Auto, listening to those talk shows, those radio talk shows in GTA has always been my favorite part of that series so that's a really sad departure but a lot, a lot of shakeups happening over there at Rockstar, I'm interested to see how that's going to affect the next GTA game. And then lastly, we got G.I. Joe Operation Blackout is a new team-based third-person shooter, and it's coming to Xbox One and PC on October 13th. So that's going to do it for all of our news in the realm of Xbox this week. But guys, we're not over just yet, because remember, every week the Xbox Wire puts out the list of new game releases coming out, and this week there are fucking 22 of them for some reason. So because this podcast is running really long, we're just going to run through them. Um, but we got... Hellheim Hassel, which is a it's a German game about being burned at the stake. And then we got Pathfinder King's King Marker Definitive Edition, which is one of those top-down games where you don't control people, but you control where people should go. So it's not really fun or interactive. And then you got Microsoft Flight Simulator, which is... I think a really insensitive game, you know, in a time where people are really nervous to fly uh, because of COVID, and where airline companies are really hurting. I think it's kind of shitty of Microsoft to be trying to capitalize off the airline industry uh, in a time where those where those companies are really hurting, and where passengers are fearful for flying because you know they don't want to get COVID and spread this this this, this virus. So. Pretty insensitive game, but if you feel the need to Microsoft Flight Simulate yourself uh, out of this world, you can do so with that game, which is now on PC. Uh, mortal Shell is our next game, which is like Mortal Kombat meets Lord of the Rings. You play with a sword, you play with a shield, uh, except Mortal Shell is, uh, it's it's like, what if instead of you being mortal, your shell was mortal, like your armor? So you play as a living set of armor uh, with a dead, inanimate body trapped inside which is pretty cool beyond enemy lines 2 is our next game this is a very pretty looking first person shooter uh and then even the ocean is our next game which is one of those like aquaman games where you don't have a shirt on so you walk around with a shield and you defend bat you defend yourself against bad guys and then we got Fuzzball as our next game, which actually looks kind of cute. It's a a party game. It's a multiplayer party game. It looks like it's themed after that Paw Patrol thing on Nickelodeon that the kids are into these days. Then we got Norman's Great Illusion, which is a really awesome indie game where you play as Norman uh, Norman's great illusion is that um, he is fulfilled with his job, that he he goes to work every day and he's happy with what he does. He makes sufficient income to support his family and live a, a well-balanced life. And he has a great work-life balance. And, and And when he completes his tasks at work, he says, wow, I'm really making a difference in my community. Uh, but unfortunately, this is just a great illusion for Norman as he comes home and he realizes his wife hates him, his daughter is apathetic towards uh, his, his role as a father figure in, in her life. Uh, he makes insufficient funds. And he hates his job, and he kind of hates his fucking life, and that's that's Norman's great illusion, is his his escapism into a better world. And then we got *She Sees Red* as the next game. This is actually not even a game; it's just a movie. So if you wanna if you wanna go ahead and watch a movie, you can see that. Uh, I don't know how it ended up on the list. And then *Stones of the Revenant* is our next game. *Stones of the Revenant*. Is you play as uh, as this man who passes kidney stones, and they they revere him for doing so because it's a very painful task. Yet this man, this man, uh, Stone uh, um, Kid Stone, is his name likes to pass kidney stones not not because he has them but because he thinks it's fun to do so so people kind of revere him for doing such and he's kind of a fucking crazy guy for doing that next we got Battle Toads which comes out on August 20th this is on Game Pass it's Xbox One X enhanced it's on consoles on PC you can play it everywhere you got to play it now these Battle Toads these are just a couple of regular toads um in no way is this even remotely similar to the Ninja Turtles by any means. Battletoads is a very original concept. It's uh, There's nothing like it. Um, no one's ever come up with anything like this. And it's it's definitely a really good game. You should definitely play, and it's Xbox One X Enhanced. Next, we've got Gleamlight, which is... Uh, Gleamlight is about... Gleamlight is about this guy um, who knows something, and he's sitting one day in class, and his instructor says... Uh, I have a question, who's ever heard of? And then he asks this question and then the whole class kind of remains st- silent. And then you play as this guy and he-, he raises his hand, your silent protagonist raises his hand and the professor calls on him. He says, would you be willing to gleam any light onto this subject? And uh, that's what gleam light is. It's, a, it's basically a big uh, school question answering simulator. So if you, ever, if you ever wanted to relive the horrors of being called on in class again, that's what, that's what you do in this game. And our next game here is called Griffin Knight Epic Definitive Edition. This is the definitive edition of Griffin Knight Epic, which is, I think, pretty self-explanatory by the name. I think you know what that means, so I don't need to explain that. And then Peaky Blinders Mastermind uh, comes out on August 20th. It's it's like a, it's like one of those games where like it takes place back in a time where they had trains but not really automobiles and people dressed really well all the time. Now the thing about these Peaky Blinders is they're cell shaded, so these men are very um. Well-dressed, but also very cartoony-looking. And that doesn't bode well with me. You know how I feel about cartoons. I think we should cancel them. And it kind of looks like a knockoff to Zelda Breath of the Wild, but, like, with trains. Remnant from the Ashes, Subject 2923 is our next game. Uh, so in Remnant from the Ashes, you play a Subject 2923. He is a sibling to Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. Uh, but Stitch forgot about this guy. They they forgot all about this, this Subject 2923. And now he's coming to Earth to seek revenge on stitch. He's going to kidnap Lilo and, 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 and hold her hostage in an effort to snuff out stitch and, and, to, and to claim his rightful position as the, um, the most beloved and the most, uh, important and able sibling of all the stitch experiments from the Lilo and stitch universe. So if you're a big fan of Disney uh, direct to DVD movies and their in their accompanying video games, then this is a great game for you. Then we got Dungeon Scavenger, which just looks like a really old PC game from like 1999. And then we got Harvest Moon Mad Dash. Harvest Moon's like what you play uh, when you want to play Animal Crossing, but you're tired of playing Animal Crossing, so you want to play uh, Harvest Moon instead. That's interesting. I don't know if that series has ever made its way to Xbox or not. That that could be. That, that could be the first time uh, Harvest Moon's ever been on Xbox that's kind of cool uh, then we got Party Panic is our next game Party Panic is a game where you play as the unpopular guy in high school let's say your name is Chad you're very unpopular no one really likes you and you have pretty much no friends but one day you and your only friend who's in chess club, so he's a fucking loser, uh, decide you're going to try to change your image by wearing tight pants and sunglasses. And you decide, let's throw a party and invite all the kids in our school. And so you send out these flyers, you hang them around people's lockers and all throughout the school and on the bulletin boards thinking no one's actually going to come. We're losers. Everyone hates us. No one even knows who we are at the school. But then you find out through the grapevine that... Pretty much everyone in the fucking school is coming. In fact, the school decided to cancel the the, the football game on Friday night to come to your party. Uh, Faculty will be showing up, as well as very loose and attractive women and very loose and attractive men. It's a very all-encompassing party. And there will be alcohol involved. Parents will be out of town. Police might get called. Loud music will definitely be uh, present. And this is going to be what the kids call a rager. And so you, Chad, the unpopular bastard that no one likes... Are now in a in a mode of party panic as you have to prepare for this party. You have to make it happen. You have to get the booze. You have to get the rock band set up and the and the karaoke machine. And you have to get the chips and dip. You gotta you gotta you, you gotta pull this off. If you're ever gonna get the really popular girl that everyone thinks is really attractive to pay attention to you, this is basically just super bad the video game, but it's also party panic. So go ahead and look forward to that. New Super Lucky's Tale are next game. I already played this game, so I don't care. Uh, PGA Tour 2K21 is out on August 21st, and it's Xbox One X Enhanced. So if you ever wanted to play as a as a cheater, as a professional rich man who cheats on his wife in stunning 4K, that's what this game's all about. And then our next game here is called Samurai Jack Battle Through Time. Did you know Samurai Jack was getting a video game? That's very interesting. And then we got The Blobs Fight Uh, which looks like yet another party game. I think that's like the fourth party game of the week. And that's going to do it for all of our new games releasing on the Xbox platform for this week. Lastly, we'll go over the games with gold. As a reminder, you got Portal Night for the rest of the month uh, that can be downloaded on Xbox One. And then from the 16th, beginning on the 16th, which is now and running through September 15th, you've got Override Mech City Brawl uh, on Xbox One. And then we got two OG Xbox games. You got MX Unleashed, uh, which you missed out on at the time of this recording it is no longer available you fucked up you missed it uh, but for the rest of the month you can download red faction 2 which my brother says is the worst red faction game so exciting and that's gonna do it for our podcast guys i appreciate you standing in forever i, I as always i i appreciate you listening in isn't it interesting how the slow news weeks are the ones where we always go over the longest so it's almost like i love to hear myself talk but I, I appreciate you listening, as always. If you made it to the end of the show, you know that uh, I have as required you to comment with your social security numbers. Guys, I'm not kidding around. I really need all your personal information. Leave IP addresses, everything you can possibly provide with me. I need that information. I will not do anything sketchy with it. You can trust me. I'm your Xbox guy. I'm your Xbox podcast guy. I will not do anything sketchy with your information. I just need you to post it so I can know you're really real people. Come on, man. You can trust me. Uh, Eric's going to play us out with a really serious song. And uh, as they say in the realm of Xbox, power your dreams.